Welcome to the Grace Baptist Sermon Podcast. Pastor Andy Oliver is our Bible teacher and expositor. Today's message is from Nehemiah 8, Observing the Feast of Tabernacles. Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8. Now today, in the United States of America, we are celebrating our Independence Day. And we rejoice in our our country. We celebrate the the liberties, the freedoms that we have. It has become a time for family celebration of feasting and of fireworks. And of course, in ancient Israel, did not uh, did not celebrate our Independence Day, but they did have several feasts of remembrance, what God did for their ancestors, and in many ways, what He continues to do. And as for Israel, so too for us, it is good. It is good to remember God's mercies. We often forget. Our memories have a tendency to last about six months, maybe a year. We forget about the past. We have selective recall. And it's good to remember our history. And that's one of the things that God drilled into Israel with the law. There were feasts and so on. There were times to remember. Less than two months have passed since Nehemiah's arrival in Jerusalem. And the changes, I mean, think about this, the changes have been amazing. Incredible. In addition to the to the small, rather mundane temple on the hill there in Jerusalem with a few scattered houses, there is now an enormous wall that surrounds this little village. The people of Israel have gathered together by their thousands into this little place to hear the word of God at the Feast of Trumpets. We looked at that last week. And for many of these folks, it had been years since they had last had an experience. For, for probably the majority of them, it had never happened before. They had never heard the word of God. They'd never heard it preached. They'd never heard it taught. They were hearing things for the first time. Some of the things that they were doing by tradition, but they had never heard instructed as to why. It's always good to know why we believe what we believe, to, to know why we do the things we do. Not just because we were told, but we ought to know from God's word. And so, having heard the law, and having a time of celebration, the people were, were weeping and crying over hearing the word of God, and, and the, the, the governor of Ezra said, listen, today is a day of celebration. Go home and have a feast of celebration to remember what you have heard and what you have understood today. Well, the very next day, you know, we have a, we usually have a big celebration and then we spend the next day recovering. But for the children of Israel, it says on verse 13 of uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. And on the second day, the very next day, after they had stood there from sunbreak until noon, they had been standing there for six hours. Listening to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Shall I have you stand for the next 40 minutes? Yeah. No, then, because there's some of you, Sue, I would be able to see Sue, and there's some of you I would be able to see. That's why Chandra sits up front. On the next day, they gathered together, the chief of the fathers, the, the heads of the households, and so on, of all the people and the priests and Levites, unto Ezra the scribe, the guy who had been been the, the the fellow who had been doing the reading and most of the teaching and so on, they came to this fellow, even to understand the words of the Lord. We want more. We want more, and we have some questions. I mean, after all, we only got six hours yesterday. 
We want more and we, we have some questions. We have some questions. And so they continue their reading, they continue their study. And as they're, they're going through this, it says in verse 14, they found written in the law, now remember, this is the Old Testament, so he is, you know, it isn't like they're reading some exciting, cool stuff. Uh, they, they are reading the, the, the rules and regulations from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what these people are being, being, are being taught. This is what's being read to them. And they found in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. Now let me pause for just a moment. Okay? If you're like me, first time I read this, I see the word booth, and I am old enough to immediately think of, what's the first word? Phone. Okay? We're thinking of phone booth. All right? I grew up in the era of phone booths. If you look long and hard, you might find one someplace, but... Uh, phone booths. All right. Does somebody have a different translation? A number of you do, I know. It won't say booth probably. What they are making is a lean-to. Now what's a lean-to? If you want, Boy Scouts, maybe some of you remember this. Uh, what you do is you have a couple of upright sticks, fork sticks, and then you run a cross beam across that, and then you lay down some, some, some branches with leaves and stuff to make yourself a little half-tent shelter. And you just do out of the branches and stuff. Well, the children of Israel were supposed to do that on an annual basis. What in the world for? I mean, it sounds like a kind of good, I mean, if you're going camping, or maybe you, you and your buddies are hanging out in the woods, and you're going to build yourself a little fort or something like that. Yeah, I can see doing that. But they were commanded as a nation. And this was one of the feasts that they were required to attend. There were three of them that were required to attend. And this was one of them. What was the significance of this? It says that they should publish, and, and so they went out and they published and proclaimed in their cities in Jerusalem, saying, go out into the mountains, because this is a fairly dry country. This is like around here where there's something, you know, there's green all over the place, even, even in the hot, dry summer. There's green everywhere here, but there you'd go up in the hills and the mountains. And he says, fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths as it is written. So they went and did it. And they, they did it in their courtyards and on the roofs of their houses and so forth. They built these little lean-tos and they lived in them for several days. Now they were hungry for the word of God. And they found out that this was a command. Now we'll get into why this was a command and the significance of it in just a moment. But as soon as they heard the word of God, as soon as they found out that, hey, you guys are supposed to be doing this, and they looked at their calendars and said, hey, that's, that's like day after tomorrow, we need to get busy. They immediately jumped on it. And uh, they were hungry to do this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul says, "...and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses..." The same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. What Ezra was doing is he was teaching the leaders of the people so that they could go out and teach the rest of the people. Remember that when they were doing this the day before, and I was commenting that I think one of the most remarkable, there were two amazing things. One was that you had that many people that were that were hungry for the word of God and they stood for six hours. And the other thing is that Ezra was able to speak that long and loud enough so everybody could hear. I think the next day his voice was pretty tired, so he's, all right, you guys, 
Here's what it is. And there may have been as many people as we got in this room, maybe a few more. Here's what it is. And so I'm going to tell you guys what to do. And then you guys go out and tell your families and let's go do this. And that way he didn't have to be preaching to the, to the whole group. So he's telling the leaders and they go out and tell the rest of the folks. We have a responsibility, by the way. We need to fill our minds, our hearts, our understandings with the word of God so that we can go tell other people. Don't take my word for it. What's it say in the book? You need to know why you believe what you believe. One of the great tragedies, you ask people that question, people who are very faithful in church, by the way. And if you ask them and get into a discussion on on theology or something like that, and you ask them, you'll get blank stares. You will get, I don't know. And you'll get, well, my pastor says. Okay, none of those are acceptable. None of those are acceptable. You ought to know the Word of God. If you go to a church, you're here, folks. If you go to a church that teaches you the Word of God, within a year or two years' time, not only what you're getting here, but ideally what you're getting on your own, you ought to be well-grounded. You ought to be reasonably well-taught. I'm going to tell you a story. Some of you have heard this before. It's, it's, it's kind of embarrassing, but it, but it, it proves it makes a point. I got saved at the age of about 15 reading a gospel tract in a waiting room. I didn't have anybody to teach or instructed me. I had a Bible that my grandparents had given me. I started reading it. I didn't have anybody tell me that, by the way, now that you're a believer, you need to start reading your Bible. I just did it. That's something I, was, I knew I was supposed to do. I also started praying. But I had no idea what kind of church to go to. I had no idea where to go. And it was going to be another year and a half or so before I got into a good sound church. And boy, did I get taught. I got My Sunday school teacher was a retired Bible college professor. Man, it was great. And we're getting all this stuff. I went to a Bible study on Tuesday nights. I went to a Bible study on Wednesday nights. I had Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night. I was getting fed five times a week, at least. And then I was reading my Bible and everything during the course of the week as well. I had been in church less than a year. And my brother, who's just a little bit younger than I am, we had a smart idea. We knew that our church in our town was the only church that was preaching the gospel. Now, there was this church that was about, there was eight or ten other churches in town, but none of them were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, but none of them were telling people how they could get saved. None of them were telling them why people, why Christ died on the cross to bear the penalty of my sins, that he was, that he, he was virgin born, that he lived a perfect sinless life, that he gave his life on the cross of Calvary to pay the penalty of my sins, that he was buried and that he physically, literally rose again the third day, was with the disciples for a little over a month and then ascended bodily into heaven. And guess what? He's coming back. Now, I was taught that in my in the church that I was going to, but none of the other churches in town were teaching that, which means it was pretentious religion is what it is. So my brother and I had this smart idea. You know, here we are, you know, a couple of smart-alecky teenagers. We go over to a particular church, and we did to a, this to a bunch of churches. We go to a particular church or just walk in the door during business hours. There's a secretary there. Well, yes, fellas, what may I do to be of help to you? We want that we want to know how we can get to heaven. Oh, 
well, let me talk to the pastor. Let me call the pastor. And so she gets on the phone. There's two young men here that would like, like to talk to you. They have some spiritual questions. All right, I'll send you right in. And then she, and we sit down there. So, fellas, what can I do to be of help to you? We'd like you to tell us how we can know for sure we're on our way to heaven. And we would sit there for an hour. And he would tell us a bunch of rubbish. All these different things, different stories, church history, his own family's story, all kinds of stuff. We never heard any gospel. And almost never heard any Bible verses. And we're under the roof of a, of a of church building. And when he was all done, it says, well, fellas, did that help you? And then the smart aleck two kids would say, well, we were hoping that you would tell us, and then we'd share the gospel with him. And he would get red in the face and nod his head and so on, and as soon as he could, he'd usher us out of the building. Or her, as the case may be. I had been taught and discipled for about a year at that time. I knew the gospel backwards and forwards, and I had answers to the different things that these guys were telling me. We ought to know why we believe what we believe. We need to be able to defend it. We ought to know it backwards and forwards. And if you have been a believer for any length of time, and you don't have that, shame on you. Shame on you. You ought to get it here, and you ought to be getting it on your own. These folks came to Ezra and said, we want, no, we want to know more. We've got people asking us questions. We have questions. Well, here's one. We're going to continue reading where we left off last time. And hey, we got the Feast of Tabernacles coming. Well, that's, started, that's, that's, that's just coming right up. And as soon as they found out that what they were supposed to do, they went out and did it. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles followed the Feast of Trumpets by two weeks. It was a memorial of the wilderness wanderings. That's why they did it. It was to remember. To remember. Which had happened about a thousand years before at that time. The children of Israel, after they left Egypt, remember all the plagues and so on? Yeah, you watched all this? Read this? The the parting of the Red Sea, they went through, they came through. For 40 years. That's a long time. For 40 years, they wandered around in a desert that made the Mojave look like a garden. They had water to drink. They had food to eat. The book of Deuteronomy says that their their clothes and shoes did not wear out. That'd be kind of a cool thing. <laughs> Boy, i got to get some of these treads. This is great. They were there. They remember, and it's, it's a reminder of what God did. That God sustained the Israelites with the manna and with the water. And their clothes and shoes didn't wear out. And they were led by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. It was to remember God's provision in spite of the circumstances. To remember. And in anticipation of being in the promised land, which is where Nehemiah and everybody else was at this time. And so the Feast of Tabernacles was to remember. Was to remember. Folks, we need to remember. We fill our heads with all kinds of new stuff and we forget so much of what has gone on. You're better off learning old stuff than the new stuff. i got to be careful when I say that, but generally speaking, that's true. Because we forget the lessons. We forget the lessons. We do the same stupid stuff that the people who went before us did. 
And we didn't learn the lesson when we could have very simply learned it because, yeah, it didn't work before. Why do we think it's going to work now? So what did they do? They made a proclamation. They were determined to obey. They wanted to find out what God said. And more than that, they wanted to find out what God said so that they, so that we could do it. Bible study should not simply be idle curiosity. I am not studying the scriptures to fill my head with information. I am studying the scriptures to know why I believe what I believe because this is pertinent, because this is real. This is, this is, this is my inheritance. This is what I have right now. And with what I have right now, what am I supposed to be doing with what I have right now? This is, this is, this is the, the guidebook for my life. Both present and future. I ought to know this. I know some of us are like, people go to Ikea and throw away the instructions and then pretend it's a puzzle. Look at the picture on the cover and see how they can make it look like that when they're done. God has given us instructions, and he's given them to us for a reason. And we ought to be reading and following the instructions. Finding out what God has said and doing it. And they did so with a good attitude. That's fairly important. We often have a rotten attitude when it comes to biblical obedience. What did these folks do? Look at verse 17. And all the congregation of them that were come together out of the captivity made booths and sat under their booths. For since the days of Joshua, it had been a long time, folks. It had been almost a thousand years since they had celebrated it down to the, the last detail. I mean, it had been done during the time of Solomon and, and a few other times. But, but as far as going right down to the detail, this is the first time it had been done since the time of Joshua. And unto that day, had not the children of Israel done this thing, And it says, at the end of verse 17, look at that, it says, And there was very great gladness. There was very great gladness. Hey, I have found out what God wants me to do, and I'm doing it! And I didn't know this before, but now, now I found out. I found out by reading and studying God's Word, I found out something He wants me to do. And I hadn't been doing it before, but now I have it. And now I'm doing it. And this is exciting. This is thrilling that I can do something that pleases God. A great attitude. Obedience with a bad attitude is burdensome. It is drudgery. It is... It just... I. I, I you're for, you feel like you're forced to do it. Somebody's got you in a hammer lock and you're, and you're being forced to do what you don't want to do even though you know it's the right thing. Obedience with a good attitude is a joy. In James chapter 1 and verse 22, he says, But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You know, so often people will hear the, they know the truth, they'll hear preaching, uh-huh, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, that's good, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then you leave and, 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 and it doesn't change anything. You hear it, it goes in here, and guess what? It goes goes out here. Because it didn't find lodging. It doesn't change anything. And it needs to change us. So they they built those lean-tos. They followed the observance. And they fully did it. And it hadn't been done since the time of Joshua. Again, 1 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 13. It was done during the time of Solomon. It had been done 90 years before. It's recorded there in Ezra chapter 3 and verse 4. But not 
not so carefully, and not in the in the in all the details. Why? We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday. Why do we do what we're supposed to do? Now think about this. What is your motivation for doing the right thing? What is your motivation? And I'm not talking about just in general. I'm talking about why, why are you here this morning? Why, if you do so, why do you read your Bible during the course of the week? Why do you pray? Why do you drop something in the offering? Why do you invite people to church? Why do you give somebody a gospel tract? Why do you maybe make some adjustments in your own personal life because you know that the Bible says certain things? Why do you do those things? Well, it's because if I don't, I feel real guilty. Or if I don't show up for church, I know that I'm going to get a phone call, somebody's going to pester me, and I'll feel real guilty. And I come here because this is where my friends are. I come here because it's fun. I come here because they have chocolate cake. You know, we can go on down, but they have good food. <laughs> I come down the list. Why do I go to church? Why do I do the things I'm supposed to do? And some folks do it. Again, I'm, I'll, I'll feel guilty or ashamed if I don't. I will be shamed if I don't. Somebody will say something. Well, if I don't, I know God's up there with a great big bat and a big baseball bat. And if I step out of line, he's going to whack me upside the head. And so I do what I'm supposed to so God doesn't get after me. Now, some of those things may be true. All those might be reasons. But biblically, they're not the best reasons. Gratitude. Gratitude is the reason. We serve our God out of... Can I earn salvation? Does my behavior get me any closer to heaven? Well, it might if I drive recklessly. But, but, does what I do, does my performance guarantee heaven? No! So I can either deal with guilt and shame, fear of uh, punishment in the temporal life, or I can live a life that honors God. My motivation is is gratitude, thanksgiving. I am eager to please rather than feeling an obligation. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, the the love of Christ constrains us. Now, in the original language, I know some, some translations make that Christ's love for us, and there's maybe a few of them that say our love for Christ. In the original language, it is deliberate, I think, very deliberately ambiguous. And in, in your King James, it's ambiguous. And a lot of, and I think New American Standard, it's also ambiguous. And the reason it's ambiguous is because it's true. The answer to the question, was it God's love for us or our love for Him? Yes. Yes. We love Him because He first loved us. We are responding to His love toward us. We are responding out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving, out of love. Our motivation should not be one of fear or guilt. Our motivation should be love. Prior to the plague, I would get dragged off two, three, four times a year a year to go see a play or a musical. I, 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 honest to goodness, honest to goodness, I would flip a coin as to whether I'd rather do that or go to the dentist. All right, 
Why then do you do this? Because my wife loves those things. And I go with her because I want to please her. And it isn't because she's going to hammer me with guilt because she'll take my daughter, my son, or get a friend and go and they shall have a good time. But I go, at least some of the time, to demonstrate my love, my devotion. I am doing this because I love her. I do the laundry. I'm, I'm the guy that usually does laundry. Not always, but I'm usually the guy that does laundry at the house. Why do I do that? Lighten her load. I'll do a load to lighten her load. And I do it because I love her. Our devotion to God ought to be driven by the same motivation. Some, some of these wives are looking at you and say, see, see, he does the laundry. Our motivation for serving the Lord ought to be love. Ought to be devotion. It isn't a sense of obligation, although that might be part of it. But we serve God out of love. These people here were eager to observe this Feast of Tabernacles because they found out what God had told them to do and they were eager to please God. They were celebrating. You know, the the feasts were to be a time of celebration. What God had done for their ancestors in the past and what God had, had done for them in the present. These are people who had been living, their ancestors, and some of them here themselves, had been living in exile in Babylon. Their, their fathers, their grandfathers, their great-grandfathers had been carried away into captivity because of their idolatry, because of their, their, their gross immoral sin. Jerusalem had been destroyed, the, cap, the, the, the survivors had been carried off into Babylon in captivity, and they had been living there for 70 years. And God said, okay, I'm going to send you back home. You can go back to the the promised land. And it was to remember what God had done for them. Matthew Henry, over 300 years ago, said, Holy joy will be oil to the wheels of our obedience. If we are filled with joy in our obedience, frankly, it makes it a lot easier, too. If we are under compulsion... Yeah, you ever notice that I was a clock watcher in, in school, but if there were certain classes, if I had a, in, in third grade, I had a great, great teacher. If anybody back in Birmingham, Michigan is watching this, Mrs. Cole was a great teacher, for those of you who had. I didn't watch the clock in Mrs. Cole's class. I was fascinated by what she was doing. And the bell rang. Oh, oh, I guess we're done. And she had different clubs after school. And I would actually stay there for an extra 45 minutes or an hour participating in some of the after school activities she had. Because she was great. My motivation was different. It wasn't run home and watch cartoons or play frisbee or something. It was, hey, I get to do this. I get to do this. I get to do this. Instead of have to do this, I get to do this. Attitude makes all the difference. And so rejoicing in what God has done, what God is doing. Because we have so much to be thankful for. I mean, last week, last week, when we came here, and it was a hundred and whatever it was outside, and we had air conditioning in here, in this big concrete box, which is a cool building to begin with. It was refreshing to come in here. And so I'm grateful for, for things that God does in the present, just little things. And also, we think about what is coming. We have, if we know Christ as Savior, the anticipation of what is coming is fantastic. It's beyond our our wildest dreams. 
God has made promises that when God promises, he is obliged to keep his word. God cannot lie. We are citizens of the kingdom coming. We will be glorified. What does that mean? That means that this body will be transformed. And I won't be bald. I won't have to go to the dentist anymore. I'll never have to go to the doctor. I will have a body that will never experience pain or discomfort. And it will last forever. And it will be sin-proof. I wrestle with the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That will be done with. I will have a perfect body that will last forever. And that's part of what I get in salvation. I've gotten the down payment of the Holy Spirit of God. It says that twice in the New Testament. But what I've got coming, and I will be with the Savior forever. Our Lord said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am there ye may be also. Six days it took him to make all of creation. And he's been gone 2,000 years preparing a city for us. This is what he is giving us. I don't deserve this. I don't earn this. And so when I, when I obey my Lord, when I serve my Lord, it shouldn't be a drudgery. It should not be a, a sense of obligation or burden. It should be a joy. I'm driven by, by love. I'm driven by gratitude. All right, you guys are going to have to listen quickly. I get asked this question from time to time. Okay, I read Leviticus. What's it mean? You're going to get a partial here to this morning. We're going to go through very quickly the feasts of the Old Testament and uh, their significance and their application, their fulfillment in the New Testament. We deal with Passover. We'll do them in chronological order. Passover, which was in March or April. And, of course, the Jewish calendar uh, does not exactly fit ours. But uh, it'll adjust from time to time. But in uh, in Passover, which is March or April, it's recorded in Exodus chapter 12, Leviticus 23, Numbers 28, and Deuteronomy chapter 16. This is when the death angel passed over Israel and Egypt. It was a mandatory feast. They were all required to participate. It was the idea that blood is the satisfaction for death. This is why Christ had to die on Calvary's cross to bear, to, to bear our sin. He, he shed his blood to pay the penalty of our sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, it says that Christ is our Passover. And in Exodus chapter 12 verse 13, the Lord said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The Passover lamb, when they prepared that, they was not allowed to break any of the bones. And that's why it says in John chapter 19 and verse 36 that at the crucifixion, none of Christ's bones were broken. He was our Passover lamb. Following the Passover was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the week following the Passover. This is to commemorate the the exodus. They had to leave in a hurry before they could uh, let their their bread be, be leavened. And uh, one of the things that they were required to do was remove all leaven from their, their houses. And very often in the scripture, leaven is a, a picture of pervasive evil. And it's a type of the sinless Christ and the purity of the church as recorded there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. Following that, we have the Feast of First Fruits. The dedication of the first fruits of the barley harvest. They would bring in a couple of sheaves of the uh, very often still green grain, the first ripe stuff, a pledge of what was to come, a promise 
of Israel's tithe at first at full harvest. And it's a type of the, the resurrection, Christ being the first fruits as recorded there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 23, a guarantee that our resurrection will follow. If Christ did not rise from the dead, folks, neither, then you and I don't, won't, won't rise either. But Christ is the, the first fruits. That he is the first one to rise and have a glorified body. He didn't, he didn't die with a, the same type of body. Now it was the same body, but it was changed. It was transformed just as our bodies will be changed. And he rose in glory as we will as well. That's the, the fulfillment of the, the day of first fruits. Pentecost in the Old Testament usually referred to as the, the feast of weeks, usually in June. And this was to dedicate the first fruits of the, of the wheat harvest following the barley harvest. By the way, you'll notice those two go in succession, the, the barley harvest and the wheat harvest there in the book of, in the book of Ruth. This was fulfilled in the, in the founding of the church there in Acts chapter two. The redemption of humanity. The Spirit is given as proof and as power. Now, that's in June. Now we have a, a gap of several months. And we have the Feast of Trumpets. This was the, the gathering of Israel. It was mandatory. All the men were required to attend this. And it was the time for the reading of the law. That was the, the time, that was the setting for what we looked at last time when they gathered the people together and Ezra read the, the law to the people. This is a, a picture of the rapture of the church as there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. The trumpet will sound and we shall be raised and we will, the calling of the redeemed home before the, the wrath of the tribulation. The day of atonement. That's in September, October, again, immediately following the Feast of Trumpets. It is the only time of the year when the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and later the temple was entered by the high priest. Atonement for the priest and then atonement for the people. And of course you have the, the two goats, the one slain and sacrificed, the other, usually referred to as the scapegoat, was released into the wilderness after they had laid their hands on it, the idea of the transfer of sin to that, the idea of expiation. That he was sent away, that the sin was not just covered, but, but gone and forgotten. A picture of what Christ would do on the cross. And lastly, the one they're celebrating here, the one we've been looking at here, is the Feast of Tabernacles. Again, immediately, this is two weeks after, so all these in quick succession there, the beginning of October. A memorial of the wilderness wanderings. The uh, end of the agricultural year. You know, in the old days, back in the, in the uh, colonial era and, uh, and beyond, they had the, the old-time harvest home celebrations. It was very similar to, that, to this type of thing. Thanksgiving for, for God's goodness in the past year. The Feast of... Now, it's kind of interesting. You look at your Bible, go through the prophets, look at the New Testament. Are there any of these things that will be celebrated in the future? Now, we've looked at the fulfillment most of these were fulfilled during the time of Christ. His, his suffering on Calvary's cross, the, the, uh, the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, all these things, these things were mostly fulfilled at that time. The Feast of Tabernacles has not been fulfilled. And the Feast of Tabernacles is the only one that will be observed in the future, at least that's recorded. It'll be observed during the, the Millennial Kingdom. In Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 16. It says it shall come to pass that every one that is left, this is after the tribulation, after the, after Armageddon and so on, everyone that is left of all the nations, so everybody on earth will be required to celebrate this. All the nations which came up against Jerusalem, even they shall go up from year to year to worship the king. Who's the king? The Lord of hosts. And to keep the feast of tabernacles. The nations will be required to come 
and pay homage to the king there in Jerusalem, and they will observe the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem during the Millennial Kingdom. When God, and here's the key thing, when God dwells among his people. We read part of this earlier. I will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then the last verse in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 48, verse 35. And the name of the city, this is the new name for Jerusalem. And the name of that city from that day shall be, the Lord is there. The Feast of Tabernacles is fulfilled in the Millennial Kingdom because God, and the person of Jesus Christ, will be dwelling among us. We will no longer be wandering about as pilgrims, as it says in the New Testament, strangers and pilgrims. We will be in the place that God has promised, the kingdom. And we will be with the king, and he will be dwelling among us. And it says, the Lord is there. And so there's always great cause for celebration. We can look at what God has done. We can look at what God is doing. And we can look at the blessed things that God has promised. The believer has every reason to celebrate and to rejoice. We have, in our nation especially, as we celebrate our our, our, our nation, our patriotism today especially, we have a lot. We have much more than most. And throughout history, we have we have time, we have stuff, but those things don't satisfy. We can pursue these things. We have what little this temporal life has to offer. But the scripture says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand, there are pleasures evermore. So what's our motivation? What's our drive? What's our... Why do we do what we're supposed to do? Why do we do what we do? Why are we here today? Our desire should be to love because we love the Lord. It is a response of gratitude, a response of thanksgiving, because Christ died on Calvary's cross and he gives us, he gives us salvation. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. But God in his grace, his mercy gives us salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I receive it by faith, by putting my trust in what Christ has done, and that's all there is to it. So what's my response to God? Most folks do good in part, so I hope I can make it. If I'm good enough, I'll make it. But that isn't what the scripture says. For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if I have salvation, I don't have to earn heaven. That means I can do whatever I want. It doesn't work that way, though. Because once I have trusted Christ, I have a relationship with him. He doesn't just give me a ticket so that I can get into heaven. I have a relationship with him. I have a love relationship with him. And because of that relationship... I serve because I love him and out of a sense of gratitude. Do you know Christ as Savior? Are you certain of where you're going to spend eternity? Heavenly Father, thank you for the grace of God. Thank you for the promises that you have made. Thank you for what lies ahead. And Father, we are all eternal beings. We will spend eternity someplace. It's unavoidable. It's inescapable. 
And Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Salvation is only through Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there's somebody today, under the sound of my voice, that has never trusted Christ, may today be that day of salvation. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about faith in Jesus Christ or more about our ministry, please visit www.gracebaptistpuyallup.org. Until next time, may you walk worthy of the Lord.